Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. This new season of The Bachelorette is like nothing you've ever seen before. And it's not because of the pandemic. Oh, sick, sick. Dan Diamond, are, are we really about to do an episode about The Bachelorette? <laughs> I cannot believe this is actually happening on a political podcast. <laughs> I, I love that watching this show might be my greatest shame, and now it's going to be memorialized on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, we are memorializing Dan Diamond's greatest shame on a podcast with a look at the season premiere of The Bachelorette and how the reality shows COVID safety stacks up against the White House. At last, it's a brand new season of The Bachelorette. Systems are a go to meet Claire. And this one is worth the wait. The Bachelorette, which is part of a long-running franchise about people seeking love on television, held its season premiere. Hi, I'm Chris Harrison, and welcome to an all-new season of The Bachelorette. And the TV show relocated production to a resort in California. They stuck everyone on campus there. Claire's journey to find love is already totally different from any other season ever. As you can see, I'm not at the usual bachelor mansion. In fact, I'm not even in Los Angeles. And made coronavirus a major storyline of the kickoff to the season. At any point, I could have caught this disease, and this could be over. So waiting for my test result has not been an easy thing to go through. I really hope that I am COVID-free because I'm really looking forward to meeting these guys. How exactly did this show pull things off in the middle of a pandemic? Like, what do we know about their safety procedures? My understanding is that the show, much like other entertainment productions, ceased in the middle of March when it became clear that coronavirus was spreading. We were going to start filming in just a couple days. But then because of the pandemic, we shut down. Quarantine day. They took a few months to figure out what they wanted to do next. They waited for testing to become more widely available. And then they started production back up at this resort, La Quinta, in Palm Springs, California. The coronavirus has transformed how we work. It's changed how we interact with family and friends. And of course, it's dramatically affected how we fall in love. So how are we going to make a romantic dating show during times like these? Well, it took a lot of work, a lot of patience, and a whole lot of testing. And in the episode, there was a big reveal near the beginning where the bachelorette got her COVID test results. Claire, I got your final test results. She was told that she tested negative. She was safe to go date all the men. You are 100% clear to go. Free and clear, ready to be the bachelorette. This is your time. So I'm going to leave you. Okay. And you're going to go get ready because all this is happening tonight. And meanwhile, the contestants, the men trying to win her heart, were shown quarantining for days. They were wearing masks as they traveled to the site. They got their own tests. It is 7.20 a.m. Been in quarantine for about uh, 24 hours here, um, but it's time for the first COVID test. So 
Not looking forward to it. You know, this stuff hurts. They're shoving basically like a pipe cleaner up in your nostrils to the back of your head. The invasive nasal swab. No, 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 mask on. Okay. Pull it down so that your nose is exposed and your mouth is covered. Okay. Okay, and head up. Oh, God. See? Oh, God. All right. Could have done with a little less drama about how the test goes up your nose. Uh, the thing just got shoved up my nose. Ugh. Claire, I'm doing this for you. I, I think the show brought home the reality of what it's like to try and live life in the middle of a pandemic. The lead, Claire Crowley, the bachelorette herself, talked about how she couldn't visit her mom, who has Alzheimer's. I don't know. A lot of people are experiencing this as well, but it's really hard for me to not be able to see her, to not be able to hug her. It's hard. I, I don't want to give this show too much credit, but I, I thought overall it was a bracing dose of reality on a show that likes to gin up fake drama. This show isn't the only major TV event that's involved a coronavirus bubble and major safety precautions. There's the Great British Baking Show. This year's bakers will be part of something very special. Which did its own contestant bubble. Like everyone up and down the country, the Bake Off has had to make some changes. It's unbelievable that I'm living in a wee bake-off village, a wee bake-off town. And on Sunday, there was the NBA Finals. And that's it. It's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Game six between the Lakers and the Heat, which you know experts have referred to as an example of how things can be done safely that that feel like normal pre-COVID life, normal pre-COVID sporting events. But I mean, speaking of someone who is no stranger to reality TV, President Trump's White House has been dealing with the fallout of its own coronavirus outbreak recently. Trump himself tested positive. His doctors now say he isn't infectious, but a number of staffers and Republican allies tested positive recently after the president did. This is a weird question to ask, but how would you say the White House, the office of the most powerful person in the U.S., how does its coronavirus protocols compare to what we've seen on reality television and in professional sports? I don't think it's a weird question at all, Jeremy. I, I was listening to Joel Anderson, a writer at Slate, make the case that NBA Commissioner Adam Silver should be in charge of the U.S. coronavirus response. And he's not the only writer who has played with that idea. The NBA took the risk of coronavirus so seriously that they stuck players, teams in a bubble and left them there for months. Meanwhile, Trump administration officials engaged with risk. They, they dismissed the idea of masks. They didn't do social distancing in the White House and beyond. Instead, they banked a lot on using rapid testing to weed out who had coronavirus and who didn't. And then if someone tested positive, to keep that person away from the president. But those rapid tests are inaccurate, and they can fail, which can quickly lead to a spiraling outbreak when there are no masks or social distancing. And I, I also think, Jeremy, there have been risks that the average American probably doesn't know about with regards to the administration. I remember meeting with administration officials this summer who weren't wearing masks indoors, 
other people not wearing masks were coming in and out of the room. The officials supported me taking off my mask, too. These were people who were then around the president. And we've discovered with COVID-19, it's very easy for a chain of transmission to sprout. All it takes is one infected, asymptomatic person lingering in a room, breathing the same air, and then that virus quickly piggybacking as more meetings, more people spend time together. What do you think these different situations, a White House outbreak, a nation where half the states are now in the COVID red zone again with cases rising, and these entertainment events that seem to be you know, running smoothly in the middle of the pandemic, what do you think they can reveal about the nation's response to the COVID outbreak? Like, does looking at them side by side make you hopeful for how things can be done better and might be? Or does this just sort of highlight what's gone wrong in this country? I think that's actually a, a very tricky question because the answer is is nuanced here. You can't run the White House the same way you run professional sports or a TV show. I mean, the Bachelorette and the NBA could pick their spots. They paused operations for months. They thought about how best to do this. The White House careened from crisis to crisis. They had relatively little time in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak to just sit and think. And the NBA, the Bachelorette, they, they operated with no real threat of, uh, say, congressional oversight. If the president had wanted to relocate the administration to a bubble, say, at his Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida— I'm sure there would have been some resistance and potential probes from Democrats who would have found fault with the idea. But I, I do think if there is a lesson, one big difference is that the White House courted risk, whereas these entertainment productions tried to minimize risk. The president held maskless rallies. He invited hundreds or thousands of people into his house, basically the White House, like that infamous Rose Garden event to celebrate Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, that's now linked to a chain of transmission. So that's the big takeaway for me, that we can get through the pandemic better if we avoid situations that create risk. The NBA, The Bachelorette, they went out of their way. They spent extra money to minimize risk. The Trump administration at times has minimized risk, but at other times has completely flouted the safety protections that we know work to stop COVID. Dan Diamond, thanks so much for talking with me, and I look forward to uh, talking about episode two next week. <laughs> if we're talking about The Bachelorette again on this podcast, something went horribly, horribly wrong. But I was, I was, <laughs> I was glad to uh, reveal my shameful reality show addiction to you and, and a few other people today. <laughs> also today... The Senate Judiciary Committee is set to wrap up its confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett after two days of the Supreme Court nominee answering questions from senators on both sides of the aisle and outside testimony today. The hearings have illustrated stark differences from the two parties, with Republicans praising Barrett's conservative values and Democrats slamming her nomination as a rushed effort to swing the court against the Affordable Care Act and abortion rights. A full vote on Barrett's confirmation is expected before the end of the month. 
And new polling shows that Joe Biden has pulled ahead of President Trump in Georgia. A Quinnipiac University poll of likely voters released on Wednesday has the former vice president with a seven-point lead in the state, with 51 percent compared to Trump's 44 percent. And it has Democratic challengers leading against Republican incumbents in Georgia U.S. Senate races. Quinnipiac polling also shows that Biden is statistically tied with the president in Ohio, Trump carried both states in 2016. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Pulse Check, Nerdcast, Women Rule, Politico Energy, and a new podcast out next week called Global Translations. Stay tuned after this to hear more. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. The way to bring this country to its knees is to choke off our supply. Imagine for a second our globe as a series of supply chains. Food, everyday goods, and raw materials. Zooming across the world in a single day. But what if those global supply chains suddenly ground? to a halt. It's not just about finding which vaccines work. It's about preparing the manufacturing and supply chains for those. And if one little detail in those supply chains goes wrong, we might not be getting vaccines to people when they desperately need them. The global pandemic showed us what it's like when we can't get the things we need. Masks, personal protective equipment, even toilet paper. There's simply not enough raw materials. We have to figure out how to get this right. There is a bigger story behind the scarcity. We need to fight back against China. A bigger picture with implications for our future. That's going to be a major challenge. On this season of Global Translations, where has globalization fallen short? And where do we go from here? The 90s called, and their economics is not what we need now. I'm Louisa Savage. I've spent my career thinking about the global forces that shape our world. Join me and other journalists from Politico. A new season of Global Translations coming October 21st. Presented by City, a leading global bank. <laughs>